are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Monday show for you. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about running backs because they got on a Zoom call this weekend. We will talk about what they discussed, and I think even they are starting to see what's going on here. I've got an incredible stat regarding Patrick Mahomes. Unfortunately, another bad stat regarding his running back, the leading rusher for the Chiefs last year, Isaiah Pacheco. Little British Open talk, maybe some college football talk as Lane Kiffin just went scorched earth at SEC Media Days on the NIL and college football where it stands right now. And maybe we'll get around to talking about the New York Jets who are going to be part of Hard Knocks coming up in a couple weeks. We'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's start with the fact that we talked about it all last week, and that was NFL running backs just not getting paid because teams don't want to spend that much of their cap on a position now that they feel like they can do a running back by committee. And instead of paying one guy 10 or 15 millions, 10 or 15 million a year, and taking up a lot of your cap when they don't touch the ball on every play, and a quarterback does, which is why they make 35 to 45 million a year that they'd rather go with like a running back by committee, undrafted rookies, you know, sixth, seventh rounders, something like that. Well, I mean, this has been the talk of the NFL for the last week. And come to find out over the weekend that several running backs participated in a Zoom call. Cleveland Browns running back Nick Chubb, confirmed he participated in the call and said Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey were also in the meeting. Josh Jacobs was in the meeting as well, and it was organized by Austin Eckler, who's been very outspoken about running backs not being paid their worth. And Nick Chubb had a great quote when this was all said and done. The details of everything weren't really released. Um, No major plans emerged from the meeting, according to the story. But this was Nick Chubb's quote. Right now, There's really nothing we can do. We're kind of handcuffed with the situation. We're the only position that our production hurts us the most. If we go out there and run for 2,000 yards with so many carries, the next year they're going to say, you're probably worn down. It's tough. It hurts us at the end of the day. End quote. He's exactly right. It's what we've been talking about for a week. It is the only position where if you have a great season, the next season your team automatically thinks there's no way he can do it again. Whereas if a quarterback throws for 4,500 yards, they just expect it the next season because quarterbacks, as we know, are protected by referees and the league. It's why you can barely hit them and get a roughing the passer call. The league knows what breads their, what butters their bread, and that's quarterbacks. And it's why they pay them what they do. And he's dead right. Yeah. Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing. Josh Jacobs is arguably, I'd say he is. He's the best player on the Las Vegas Raiders. And the Las Vegas Raiders are choosing not to pay their best player. Same with the Giants. Saquon Barkley is by far the best player on the New York Giants. And they're choosing not to pay their best player. You wouldn't find that in any other sport. But I also see the business side of it. Why am I going to give this much money and this much cap dedicated to my running back when Their shelf life in the league is no more than five or six years, and it isn't. I told you about Isaiah Pacheco. I mentioned him in the open. He's really screwed. There was an NFL Twitter account that wrote this. He's 24, and he's a seventh-round pick. 
he has to play two more seasons under his rookie deal. He can't hold out for this final season, and then the Chiefs can franchise tag him. He could possibly not hit free agency until he's 28 or 29. Think Isaiah Pacheco is getting any sort of big contract at the age of 28 or 29 as a running back? No chance. So this guy's screwed. And he led the Chiefs in rushing last year. And oh yeah, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So the top rusher on the Super Bowl winning team last year is probably never going to see shit, even a 7 or $8 million a year contract. Because by the time he gets to that point, he'll be 28 or 29, and no team we know is doing that. So what does he do? Sit out? This guy doesn't have, at least, you know, Saquon Barkley, while we've talked about last week, what can he do? Will he sit out? Will he play a game of chicken with the Giants? Saquon Barkley has made $40 million just in salary in his NFL career so far. So at least he has somewhat of a nest egg to where the guy is not going broke. Isaiah Pacheco made $977,000 last year. Now, yes, that's very well more than you know, the average household, but it's not like he's a multi-multi-millionaire. And, but Isaiah Pacheco is going to have to run literally for the Chiefs if they tag him after two more years on his rookie deal. If they tag him, franchise tag him, yeah, he's, he's never going to get a big monster three or four, five-year deal for $40 million. It's just not happening. So, again... Running backs, your Zoom call, at least they're starting to understand it. But I will say, I don't, I've said it all last week, it does suck. I'm not siding with the owners here. I'm not even siding with either side. I'm just saying these are the facts. So if I owned an NFL team, I would not pay a running back that much. If I was a star running back, I would be pissed that I'm not making this much. Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, the best players on their team, and they're not getting paid. I'd be frustrated if I were them. But if I was an owner of a team, I wouldn't pay them either. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know where we, I just don't know where we come out on this. I don't know if there's ever a solution other than what we kind of talked about last week, which is what Mina Kimes suggests on ESPN, is that maybe for running backs, you'd make an exception and you change the rules just for them. I don't know how that could possibly fly with the NFLPA but maybe they're allowed to get out of a rookie deal and they can become free agents after three years because we all know running backs best years are their first five or six years in the league. And when your rookie deal ends up ends after five years, four years, five years, most teams are looking at you like you got one, maybe two good years left. So if you allow these guys to hit free agency after three years, does that even it out a little bit? Maybe they can get a decent contract. Yeah, I guess. But it's still going to take an owner to wanting to pay a running back ten or fifteen million a year. I just I don't know if it's going to happen. I told you I had a great Patrick Mahomes stat. I've already told you numerous times about his statistic that he's been a five year starter in the NFL and he's made the AFC Championship all five years. All five AFC Championship games were in Kansas City. He won three of them, lost two of them. The two that he lost were his first AFC Championship against the Patriots. Two years ago, lost at home to uh, the Bengals. 
And then the three times they won it, went to the Super Bowl. He's got two Super Bowls, and he's got one loss in the Super Bowl, and that was to Tom Brady and the Bucks. Well, here's another crazy statistic when it comes to Mahomes to just show how good he is and how competitive his teams have been. Patrick Mahomes has started 80 games in the regular season. 80. The Chiefs have only lost two of them by more than one score. Now, I'm assuming one score means eight points or less. I I don't know if I've ever gotten the definition. I mean, if you're down by eight, it only takes a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So I'm assuming that's a one-score game. But for some reason, I've always had it in my head that when they talk about that statistics-wise, they're thinking just a seven points or less. But whatever, seven, eight. The bottom line is, in 78 of the 80 games he started, he's only lost two of them by more than one score. Including the playoffs, which is 16 games he's played in the playoffs, He's three, they're three for 96, which means there's only been one game in the playoffs where he's lost by more than one score. And we know which game that was. That was the Super Bowl loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What was it? 31 then 31-9, I believe, was the final on that one. So, I mean, just an unbelievable statistic to show that he's almost unbeatable and you're you're just not going to blow him out. You're never going to blow the Chiefs out. They're too good. And there have been times. Remember when the Houston Texans went up 24-0 on them in a regular season game and then they lost by double digits? Or maybe that was the playoff game. They went up 21-0 or 24-0 on the Chiefs and lost by double digits. <laughs> it's just stupid. It's a stupid, stupid statistic. But go and press your friends with it. Two times in 80 regular season games, Patrick Mahomes has lost by more than a touchdown. One time in 16 playoff games, and that was his Super Bowl loss to the Bucs. So I'm a golf fan, and I watch the big events. I watch all the majors, and I'll watch, you know, the tour championship and stuff like that. And I, If, the, you know, the Greater Greensboro Open is on, I'll, I'll, you know, tune in just to see who the leaderboard. If it's interesting, maybe I'll stick around longer than I would if the leaderboard wasn't interesting. But the British Open was this past weekend, and you don't have to waste all your Sunday because they are so far ahead of us in time that it's basically over by, you know, one or two in the afternoon, at least central time. West Coast time, God, you guys are, your British Open is done by noon. Other times, obviously, like when the U.S. Open was in L.A. last month, Sunday night, it didn't end until, I think, nine o'clock at night, uh, central time. But... You know, I watch the British Open. I, I've it's the of the four majors. It's the one that I could care less. I could care the least about, just because I the courses don't. They never impress me. There's nothing aesthetically pleasing about those courses. Every single one of them looks the same. I understand there's history involved and all this stuff. I get it. St Andrews, oldest course ever, or whatever. Okay, great. They all look the same. They all look brown on the, you know, the, the the fairways are green and brown, and then the rough and the gorse is brown. Great. <laughs> like it just, and it, the weather is always, I didn't say always, but it's usually poor. It's usually overcast and windy and rainy. It's just, 
it just doesn't do anything for me. But to see that Brian Harmon won, a guy who hadn't won a PGA Tour event since 2017, and the guy won going away, the thing that interests me was, hey, what were this guy's odds before the tournament? Well, I'll tell you, they were 145 to 1. A guy that hadn't won in six years, 145 to 1. You know what that means? If you just bet $100 on Brian Harmon before the tournament, you won yourself $14,500. Probably not many people did. That's why he was 145 to 1. But that's still a nice chunk of change to bring back on a $100 bet. You know, golf is golf is so hard to bet in terms of if you're picking the winner. First off, you would never go into a major and just choose one winner, and that's the only bet you make all weekend because your odds of winning that are slim and none. Unless you were related to Brian Harmon, why else would you put a bet in, you know? Even the average golf fan who watches all the tournaments and even studies the statistics wouldn't think, I'm going to put in one bet, and it's going to be for who to win the tournament, and I think it's that guy that's at 145 to 1. No, you wouldn't do that. Normally on these type of, of events, especially majors, you can bet top 20, top 10, top 5. You can bet matchups. And that's what most people do. Like, hey, I'm going to bet Scotty Scheffler to finish in the top 10 because he usually does. Well, he didn't this weekend. I'm going to finish. I'm going to bet Scheffler to finish top 20. Well, he didn't this weekend. So I hope people didn't go in on Scheffler. Kepka, same thing. Didn't have a great weekend. So th- those are the bets you kind of make. And if you're going to choose a winner, you got to pick two or three. You know, you're just ne- you I mean, hell, you're probably not even going to you're probably not even going to pick the winner when you pick two or three. Unless in your two or three, you're always picking, you're always putting one of the top five players in there, a Rom, a Scheffler, because we know they're probably going to win at some point. They have a better chance to win than somebody at 145 to one. But I mean, even John Rom was 14 to one. I mean, if you put a hundred dollar bet in on Rom and he won the tournament, it still went $1,400 back. Most times, most majors in golf the favorite is still at minimum 10 to 1 just because it's so hard to pick who's going to win but Brian Brian Harmon 145 to 1 that is a nice chunk of change for anybody who bet him did you see SEC media day last week i think this might have been on thursday i didn't even talk about it on friday but lane kiffin definitely had some choice words for college football and college football in general and the powers that be in college football. And the thing is, he's not wrong. He's basically saying right now the state of college football is a disaster. And it's not because players are now getting paid. It's the way they're getting paid. When the NIL was approved, that was supposed to mean when you recruited a kid, you could say, hey, you come to our school. We can get you this deal to promote this product, this hat. And obviously, you can do any sort of merchandise you want. You make money off your own merchandise and stuff like that. But that's not what it's turned into. It's just turning into the schools with the biggest boosters and the deepest pockets can say, yeah, just come to our school and we'll just give you money. That's not what NIL is. Name, image, and likeness was supposed to be, here's what we can give you to make money off your name, image, and likeness. We can get you this deal at a car dealership. We can get you this deal doing whatever. Not, hey, we'll just pay you $50,000 to come to our school. We've got deep pockets from our donors. They want you here. 
And that's what it's turned into. And that's what Lane Kiffin is saying is basically like, this is a disaster. I talked about it when Jordan Rogers was on the podcast. It's the Wild Wild West. It's who's got the deepest pockets. Why do you think Georgia and Alabama get the five stars every year, get the most every year? They got the deepest pockets because the SEC goes to the playoffs every year and those bowls pay out the most. So you're getting more and more. And they're obviously rich in tradition. And they have boosters up the yin-yang that will pay whatever to keep their team at the top. So when Lane called it out at SEC Media Day, I thought it was kind of funny, but everything he said was true. What what did he say that was wrong? You know, and could there be a little bit of bitterness because Ole Miss certainly doesn't have the type of deep pockets with their boosters as Alabama and Georgia do? Sure. Lane knows he's missing out and he can't compete with certain players that are going to choose a different school over his because Alabama's coming to the table with, we'll pay you this. Georgia's coming to the table with, we'll pay you this. It's crazy. It's not the way NIL was supposed to work. And college football's governing body knows all about it, and they aren't doing anything. There's really nobody running college football's, like, there's no structure in college football. There's no, you have to answer to this. The NFL has Roger Goodell. They have a commissioner that oversees everything and hands down penalties. College football doesn't have that. You know, they have an infractions committee that'll ding Tennessee for all their assistant coaches and Jeremy Pruitt doing things illegally. And it's just like, it's so stupid because great. You take away some of Tennessee's victories when Jeremy Pruitt was there. Nobody cares. You still won the games. Oh, you had an illegal player on the field because you paid him. Okay. (laughs) If we're doing that, then everybody's games are going to get forfeited. (laughs) Because at some point, even before NIL started, every single team in college football, especially the good ones, had players on their team that they recruited and was giving them money under the table. Everybody in college football knows that. It's the worst kept secret in the world. Let's not pretend that Tennessee was the only team doing it. So So dumb come down on them and oh in the record books it's going to say you won zero games great no they didn't they won the games on the field taking away victories is literally the stupidest penalty i hate that i hate it in college basketball i hate it in college football remember after michigan and the fab five and all that they got those wins taken away it's like great you can't take the game away they still played the game When you go over those two teams that made the national championship, the one that lost to North Carolina, then the next year lost to Duke, just because you took the victories away during those seasons, uh, what fans are going to be like, nope, Michigan never made it. Um, Yes, they did. (laughs) Yeah, but they paid their players. Yeah, so was everybody else. Let's stop pretending. So stupid. And finally... The New York Jets and most NFL teams reported to training camp over the weekend. And the Jets are the team that were chosen for hard knocks. That's going to air, I believe, starting August 8th. Tuesday the 8th, five episodes, or maybe it's six. And doing a little research on the Jets over the weekend. Look, they're going to be just like the Detroit Lions were last year. And the Lions ended up exceeding expectations. You know, their win total in Vegas was six or six and a half last year, and they went nine and eight. 
So they are, and you know, finished the season, I believe, seven and one. So they are the team that everybody thinks is on the up and up. I think they are the favorite to win the NFC Central this year. And this year, with the Jets being on hard knocks and everybody watching it, it's the only team we get an inside look at before every season. So people are always going to be gung-ho on them. Like, oh, my gosh, look at them, and you're going to see players that you didn't know, and they're going to focus on players that, oh, my God, this guy's a stud. And, and then immediately people are going to run and start betting they're over. Right now, the New York Jets over is nine and a half. So for you to win your bet, the Jets have to go, and you bet the over, the Jets have to go 10 and seven this year. And nine and a half is minus 125. So that means all the money's coming in right now on the Jets to finish 10 and seven or better. I just want to remind you of something. Well, two things. Number one, right now, nine and a half minus 125. I guarantee you before the season starts, it might be up to 10 or that nine and a half is going to have a bigger juice on it. It might be 135 or 145 because I have a feeling people are going to watch Hard Knocks and say, I really like this team and bet the over pretty much how they do it every year. It's better to play contrarian and go under with Hard Knocks teams. But second point I want to make about the Jets. Keep this in mind. The New York Jets have had one winning season since 2012. You're like, yeah, but they didn't have Aaron Rodgers. Now they have Aaron Rodgers. Yes, they do. Aaron Rodgers wasn't good last year. It was his worst season in a long time. Now, you might say he wanted out. He wasn't interested. They don't have the players that the Jets do. Fair points. Fair points. But betting the Jets to go over nine and a half wins and finish 10 and seven when they've had one winning season in the last 11 years, I wish you the best of luck. (laughs) I'm probably going to wait until that line goes, until that total goes up to 10 or the juice for over nine and a half goes up to 135 or 45. I'm probably going to go under. Have you seen their division? I mean, they're still in the AFC East. They still got to play the Dolphins twice. They still got to play the Bills twice. And they still got to play, um, Patriots. So got to play the Patriots twice. What if they go three and three in their division? Now, you know, they need to go seven and six in their other. Wait, what am I talking about? If they go three and three in their division, they need to go. And that means they'll play. uh, That means they'll played six games, 11 left. And they need to go seven. They need to go seven and four in their other 11 games. So I haven't looked at the rest of their schedule just yet. But are they going to make that leap? Look, the Lions were terrible for a long time, and they went over their total last year. The Lions finished 9-8 and eight last year. You know what their total over-under wins this year is? 9.5. So Vegas is only thinking that they might win one more game than they did last year. I actually think the Lions are going over this year. I know there's gonna. I know they're like everyone's darling team right now, but I'm sold on the Lions. I'm betting them over nine and a half for the year, and I expect them to get there. Barring major injuries, I think they get there. And it was because of the way they finished last year, and because what I saw in that final game of the year. Remember Sunday night NFL 
game of the week in week 18, last game of the season that we watched before playoffs. All the Green Bay Packers had to do was win at home against the Lions, and they made the playoffs last year. The Lions, no matter what they did, had been eliminated earlier in the day when someone else had won. And the Lions went into Lambeau and beat them in a cold-weather game. So that showed me a lot about that team. And I don't think they get off to a 1-6 start this year like they did last year. So Lions finished 9-8 and eight last year. Can they go 10-7 and seven this year? In my mind, they can, so that's why I'm betting them over. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcast. Rate and review if you can as well. That certainly helps. Tell your friends about the podcast. Pass it along. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, we'll obviously be back tomorrow with another episode. So, again, thank you all for tuning in. And remember... Sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See ya.